0: Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. It is in the power of Christ we stand, amen? That's what we're here to celebrate together this morning. It is Christ and Christ alone. If you have your Bibles, grab them and uh, turn to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4. We're going to be hanging out there uh, together today. Matthew uh, chapter uh, number 4. It's my privilege to be able to uh, speak this first Sunday of the year. Last year, we—I mean, last week—we were able to uh, celebrate all that God has done uh, in the life of our church in uh, 2023, and what a special service it was. And then uh, Pastor Brandon—he really uh, just spoke into us as we uh, ended that service about what it looks like uh, out of uh, Psalms chapter 139. Uh, about what it looks like just to uh, lay ourselves before Jesus and say, search me and know me. This uh, uh, idea of being uh, uh, open and uh, laid out before the Lord as he uh, prepares us for what God wants to do uh, in us and in our church in uh, 2024. And next Sunday, we're going to start a new uh, sermon series. Uh, every January, we start a four together sermon series. And uh, we're going to be talking next week about courageous faith. And uh, what it looks like uh, in Scripture for different individuals as they walked out in their lives, what it means uh, to live by, with and by courageous faith. And so you want to make sure that you're back for that uh, next week. Uh, today we're just going to uh, sandwich between those two, uh, two services. We're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 4 as we talk about what it means to uh, follow uh, Jesus and what it means to be a disciple of uh, Jesus Christ. It's my uh, opportunity this year to be able to coach my son's first and second grade basketball team. When I use the word opportunity, it's more like I was voluntold to uh, coach this basketball team. And you can imagine first and second graders uh, trying to learn this game of uh, basketball. I showed up to practice to take my son to, the, to uh, his very first practice and they were gonna divide the teams up and they, we had coaches already lined up and uh, 24 kids showed up for the first practice and they were like, we can't put 12 kids on each team and it'd be a good experience for everyone. So we need three teams And since I was the only one there that had any coaching experience, I was drafted or voluntold uh, to be able to coach that uh, third team. And so uh, I did. How was I going to tell those uh, eight uh, first and second graders that were looking at me, no, I don't want to coach you. That's what I was thinking in my heart, but I couldn't break their hearts by saying that to them. So I agreed to do so. When I say coach... I use that term very loosely. It's not really coaching, it's hurting cats, okay? That's really what it looks like. I'm just trying to keep them uh, safe and uh, happy and no one uh, crying and learning a little bit about uh, the game of basketball. Uh, The games are a disaster, all right? Just Just to be honest with you, my whole goal in the games is us not shooting it in the wrong basket. So far, I've been successful with that. All right, we haven't won a ton of games, but we have not shot it in the wrong basket uh, yet. We have dribbled it in the wrong way. We've stopped playing defense. There's a lot of different things that we haven't done that we haven't done right, but we haven't shot it in the wrong goal uh, yet, thankfully. And uh, my son is on the team. And so only one time this year has my wife given me that look like, you stop talking to my son like that or you're going to walk home. So I feel that that's also successful that uh, my wife has still allowed me to ride home in the car with him and my son uh, after uh, each one of the games. And so uh, that's been fun as well. And it has been a highlight to be able to coach uh, my son and, and uh, these uh, players. In you have to understand this about basketball. Before I came to Green Hill Church, coaching basketball is how I made my living. Like I coached uh, college and middle school and high school my whole career before uh, going into the ministry. And so uh, basketball is something that I love. It's something I'm passionate about and something I know a lot about, just like you know a lot about whatever occupation that you've been doing for uh, 18 or 20 years. And so uh, for me to try to teach these kids uh, in first and second grade, basketball has been a little bit of work. The first practice that we came to, I asked them, all right, so how many of you guys have played basketball before? And only two guys raised their hand of, of, the, of the eight. So they'd never played basketball before. Our very first practice, I took a ball with me and I said, this is a basketball. <laughs> like that's where we're starting at, right? And so then we put the basketball down and we began walk around the court and we said, this right here is what we call the baseline. This is out of bounds. And then the free throw line, this is where you shoot free throws. And this is called the elbow. This is called the box. This is half court. You can't go across half court, you know, into the backcourt. This is called the lane. And so we're explaining stuff on such simplistic levels. Uh, as a, someone that's coached his whole career, uh, I didn't realize how simplistic I was going to make it, going to have to make it. But I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy the simplicity of explaining it, it as well. Pra- games, I dread practices I love because the practices we get to talk about the fundamentals and break the fundamentals down on such a a elementary level and then we get to talk about terminology that I would use you know with uh, college players and I have to figure out how to make it as simple as possible so these first and second graders can understand it but then execute it you know what I mean it's less been a lot of fun for me in trying to figure out how to do that the challenge of, of a new way of coaching If I could just for a few minutes this morning, I think it's important a couple times a year that we really look back at the fundamentals. And we really look back to the terminology that we use and make sure that we understand the simplicity of what Jesus Christ was calling us to do when he said, come be my disciples. I think that's important and that's what we're gonna spend a few minutes about this morning in Matthew chapter number four when Jesus calls his first disciples. If you look there in your Bible, the Bible's kind of broken down into uh, different uh, sections. Maybe it's by paragraph, maybe it's by story. And above those sections, there'll be a title. And the title in your Bible today probably says, Jesus Calling His First uh, Disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is Jesus Calling His First Disciples and what that means for us individually, but also what that means for us collectively uh, as a church. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, earmark Matthew chapter four. This word disciple that we uh, use is not something, uh, a term that we use probably that frequently outside of the church. You know, as a mission statement for the church, we have, we make disciples of Jesus Christ who live for his kingdom. But inside the church, that's probably the only time that you use the word disciple. Outside the church, you probably use the word Christian a lot. Did you know that Christians only use three times in all of scripture? And I understand why we use the word Christian because it's easier for us to to uh, communicate to our friends and to our family about what Jesus Christ has done in our life, but the word disciple is actually used 281 times in scripture, and I would argue this morning that by us changing the word uh, to Christian instead of disciple, we kinda lost some of the, the meaning behind this word disciple and what God has called us uh, to do. Disciple is, is a much clearer term, I would say even terrifyingly clear to us about what it actually means to become and to believe in Jesus. You see, a disciple started back early in education for, the, for these Hebrew boys. Hebrew boys were, uh, at the age five, they were sent to a, a Hebrew school uh, called a, a Torah school. A Torah being the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in those in that school, they would learn exclusively about the Torah. There's a special test, uh, there's a special ceremony that kicked off this uh, five year uh, education process. And that ceremony was called Honey on the Lips. And every boy that went to this Torah school, they would uh, line up that very first day of school and they would drop this drop of honey on their lips. First time that many of them, probably any of them, had ever tasted something so sweet in their life. And what it was meant to do is symbolize the sweetness of God's word. And how that was going to uh, go throughout their life and throughout their body. This sweetness, this sweet savor of the scriptures. And so they would study these five books of the Bible for five years up until age 10. And at age 10, there was this first weeding out process. Not everybody was going to go past the, uh, this mark, this 10-year-old 10 10 year mark. Only those that were the best in the Torah were going to continue on in education. At age 10, there was this weeding out process. If you didn't make the cut, you were going back home. And in going back home, you were going to start the trade of whatever your family did, whatever your father did, whether it was a fisherman or a carpentry or whatever your family was known for, that's what you were going back to do. And those students that were left, those that made the cut, were going to study the rest of the Old Testament the next seven years of their life. They were going to study Joshua through Malachi, and they were going to become familiar with uh, the Old Testament. And at age 17, there was another weeding out process that if you wanted to continue your religious studies, you would go and find a rabbi to sit underneath. Now, this was uh, uh, something that was a selective process. You would go find a rabbi that you that you believed in, that you uh, had identified that you wanted to sit underneath and you would sit under that rabbi. That was your way of requesting your continued education. And the rabbi would examine you through questions and through tests to see if you were worthy to sit underneath their teaching. These rabbis could be very uh, um, picky about who they would allow to be their students. You see, uh, being a sitting underneath this rabbi was uh, something that was uh, very sought after when you were a kid you didn't think about being a police officer or a fireman or uh, a basketball player those things weren't available to you you dreamed of being a a rabbi a, a religious teacher so the rabbis could choose the smartest and the most talented boys to be their disciples another reason why the rabbis were so picky was that whatever disciple that they chose, they were choosing them because they believed that they could become just like them, that they would know what they knew and they would would do what they did. For several years, this disciple would walk around and spend time with, listen to the teachings of their rabbi, imitating them in every way. And it was said, if you were an exceptional student, that this phrase would be said of you. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. If you were an exemplary student to your rabbi, they would say the dust of your rabbi is all over you, meaning that whatever your rabbi just stepped in, it covered you completely. This is how you knew this was a student that was going to have the ability to go on and to be a rabbi. With this idea and this understanding of what a disciple actually is, I want us to read Matthew chapter 4, and understand what Jesus was calling these disciples to. Verse number 18 is where we'll pick up. It says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Knowing that they're fishermen, you already kind of know that they Missed the first cut, right? They didn't continue in their uh, education that they went back into the family trade. They were the fishermen, or if I could say it this way this morning, they were on the JV team. They were on the B team, all right? They didn't make the cut. But what happens here? What does Jesus do? And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Look at the instant and absolute obedience. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Let this sink in just for a minute. When Jesus chose the squad that he was going to change the world with, build his movement upon, he chose the B team. He didn't choose the religious elite. He didn't choose those that were sitting underneath a rabbi already. He chose fishermen. Verse number 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So of course, what did these four disciples do? They followed this rabbi, this rabbi with authority, this rabbi with this personal power that had invited them to follow him. They they were invited to know God the way that Jesus knew God. They were invited to know what he knew and to do what he did and be filled with the same power of Jesus Christ. So from this passage here, I just want to give us a couple things that will help us better understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Number one, it says this, Jesus calls the willing. Jesus calls the willing. Jesus didn't necessarily call the greatest or the smartest or the best looking or the strongest or that one that was classified as most likely to succeed. He called the willing. John MacArthur, he says it this way, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in, in Alexandria. The great philosophers were found in Athens, the powerful in Rome. He passed over Herodias, the historian, Socrates, the great thinker, Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half of these men were fishermen. One was practically an IRS agent, and one was a former uh, terrorist. He chose the B team because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities, but from what he was going to do through them. People with great talent and abilities would only get in the way because they would never lean upon the power of Jesus Christ. They would lean on their own abilities. We see this on display display in Acts chapter number four. In Acts chapter number four, we see Peter and John preaching, and they're preaching uh, to the religious elite. And these religious elite are beginning to question the message that John and uh, Peter are preaching. And they were so convinced by their preaching, preaching on the resurrection, that the Jewish leaders changed their tone about Peter and John. And they said this, when they observed the boldness of Peter, when they observed the boldness of John and realized that they were untrained and uneducated men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like, that you can identify them because they have been with Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that his power in the weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the most incredible talent without him. Jesus calls the willing. Number two, Jesus is the one who initiates the discipleship process. Jesus is the one who calls. Number two, Jesus is the one who calls. Jesus initiates this discipleship process he calls us did you notice that the disciples weren't seeking after their rabbi they were busy doing their work they were busy mending their nets they were busy baiting their hooks they were busy uh, fishing they were busy repairing their boats they were doing whatever they were called to do and they were doing it well and jesus called them jesus sought them jesus said follow me As I explained earlier, the way this normally went down is that a student would go seek out their rabbi, and they would apply to that rabbi, and if he liked what he saw, if he liked what how you answered the test, how you answered the questions, he would choose you. And in choosing you, this would instill in the student a great amount of confidence, Anytime that student began to doubt their calling, anytime that they would uh, begin to doubt their uh, ministry, they would think back to when their rabbi called them, that he chose them, and this would enlist in them a great amount of confidence. But Jesus didn't wait for the students to seek him. He sought after the students. He started the process even further back He didn't wait for them to come sit at his feet. He came seeking them when they weren't even looking for him. Do you know how much confidence that would give them? Do you know how much confidence that that would give us? That he sought us, that he chose us to be his disciples. One thing that you'll notice throughout the New Testament is that the apostles, they continue over and over again to emphasize this theme that Jesus chose you. The purpose of the apostles doing that is they understood that this discipleship process was gonna be hard, it was gonna be tedious, it was gonna be uh, um, something that would uh, be uh, monumental, and they wanted you to understand that God chose you as a way to enlist confidence. Jesus is teaching us here in this passage, when you don't have confidence in me, in you, have confidence in me. Some of you are struggling right now, maybe with your marriage or with your career or in, uh, in being a parent or uh, something in your occupation. Believe this, he chose you. You may not feel confident about your abilities. You may not feel confident in the future, but be confident in this. He has promised to make you what you need to be to do everything he has called you to do. Have confidence in him. Usually when our confidence fails, this is where it fails. We're not so much losing confidence in Jesus, we are losing confidence in the promises of Jesus to us. Matthew tells a story about this to help illustrate what I'm talking about this morning in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, we see the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water. Jesus comes to his disciples that are on a boat. Um, they've been on a boat for uh, an extended period of time. He has uh, sent them from the shore while he goes and spends time with the Father. And as the evening draws on, he begins to walk to his disciples on the water. We would think this is probably two or three in the morning, so you can imagine the darkness, the coldness, the, maybe the fog on the water as Jesus is walking to them. As he begins to walk to him, the disciples see someone walking in the distance and say, it's a ghost. And then one of them begins to identify, no, that's not a ghost, that's Jesus as he's walking to him on the water. Peter in his boldness says, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, allow me to walk to you. And Jesus invites him out of the boat to walk on the water. As he's walking to Jesus on the water, we know the story takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink We say that Peter lost his confidence in Jesus. That's not what really happened. Jesus is still on the water. There's no reason to lose your confidence in Jesus. He's already on the water, still walking on the water. Who has sunk? Peter has sunk. The problem here is that he lost the confidence that he had in Jesus to do what Jesus promised him he could do. Peter lost confidence in Jesus. Peter is still up there walking on the water. He lost confidence in Jesus' promise to be with him and to hold him. And he says to Peter, Your faith is weak. Your confidence is weak. Have faith, have confidence in me, in the promises that I have for you. I said that you could walk on the water, so walk to me. If you're discouraged in your marriage this morning, it's not about you doubting Jesus' ability for you to be a good husband. You know if Jesus was married to your wife that he would be a good husband. But you aren't sure that you can be a great husband. But you can. You aren't sure that God can use you to be a great husband. God can use you to be a great boss. That God can use you to be a great parent. That God can use you to be a great teacher. That God can use you to be a great friend. And you're doubting the promises of God. But he can when God shows you he had a plan for you and when you fall when life smacks you around when you fail when you feel like you're up against insurmountable odds insurmountable obstacles in your marriage in your kids in your career in your ministry you need to remember what Jesus says to you in 1st Thessalonians 5:24 he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it Philippians 1:16 i am sure of this that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and to go and produce fruit, and the fruit should remain. Jesus is the one who calls. Have confidence that he called you, and walk in that confidence. Jesus is the one who calls. Number three, Jesus calls us to follow him. If you look back at at verse number 19, the simplicity of the call really just gets me every time. What's he called him to do? Follow me. The simplicity of it. Following Jesus means spending time with him. That's one of the most crucial elements of following Jesus, walking with him, spending time with him. If you can think back just for a minute, what Peter and Andrew and James and John would have experienced in walking with Jesus. He walked with him and talked with him and questioned him and took a nap and prayed with him and passed out food with him and served people and watched Jesus do miracles and watched Jesus do teaching and argued with him and watched him... Communicate with your religious elite and uh, the lowest sinner. He just, they just spent time with him. They watched the way that he interacted. They watched that, the way that he responded to his enemies. They, walked, they watched the way that he served the least among him. They watched the way that he ate and dined with sinners. They spent time with him. That's what the first followers of Jesus did. They just walked with him and asked him questions and listened to answers and just spent time with him. Mark 3 and verse 14 communicates it this way. When Jesus called the 12, the purpose by which he called the 12, it says this, so that, that so that there is communicating the purpose by which Jesus Christ called the disciples. It says this, so that they would be with him. The purpose of him saying, follow me is so they understood that you are following me and that I want you to spend time with me, to be with me. That's what salvation really is for us. Salvation means to be with God, to be with him. We understand that at the beginning of creation, God made and designed us to be with him. But sin came on the scene in Genesis chapter number three. And when sin came on the scene, it separated us from God. We had no way to be with him because sin separated us. But God didn't leave us in our sins, separated from God. He sent his son to come and to die on the cross for us so that we could be restored in relationship so that we could be with him. And in doing so, he invites us to an eternal life of being with him. That's the invitation that's available to you today is that you could spend eternity with your father with him. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says it this way, the simplicity of the gospel on display right here, for Christ also died for our sins once and for all. The just for the unjust. Jesus, that just one with no sin in substitute for those that sinned. The purpose of that it says that, we might, that he might bring us to God. We couldn't come to God on our own. Only Jesus Christ could bring us to God to be with him. The whole purpose for which we are saved is that we might come back to God and be with him. So the enormous privilege of salvation, the enormous privilege of following Jesus, is that we get to be with him. That's what we're saved for. That's what we're saved to. And someday we will get to spend eternity with God in heaven with him. But we get to start by being with him right now. By faith as we walk with him and follow him. He's inviting you to experience him right now. And the invitation is follow me. Notice here in the text that the disciples weren't really sure what they were being called to follow. They weren't really sure where they were going. They weren't exactly sure what the assignment might be. His primary call was not for them to do something. His primary calling was for them to become like him. He doesn't really talk about the destination. He doesn't really talk about the task. He says just follow me, and in following me, become like me. The only way that we can know him is you have to know his word. You have to spend time with him. You know, we offer many outlets for you to uh, engage God's word. We push you individually to engage God's word by yourself through daily devotions, through uh, engaging God's word in an individual way. But we also give you opportunities to engage God's word through weekly teaching on a Sunday morning, through small groups, through uh, classes on Wednesday nights. When you came in this morning, you should have received one of these uh, sheets of paper. On the sheet of paper here, there's one side that says life groups, and there's one side that says midweek. This is a really good time at the beginning of the year for you to uh, get involved in one of these aspects of the church. This life group side right here we redesigned for you to better understand that we try to put folks into a life group based upon their life stage. We believe that this discipleship process works really well when you're in, uh, in the life group with people that are going through the same seasons of life as you are. So, as you look through here, you'll see the different ages, and, I mean, sorry, the different stages of life represented here on this sheet of paper. And every stage of life is represented. There's an opportunity for you to join one of these groups. If, you're, if you say, KCA, hey, I've been kind of kicking the tires on this, but I don't really know exactly about getting into a group. And uh, Lane and I can help you, give you some uh, help in saying which group we think that you would uh, maybe best fit in. If you're like, hey, I'd love to get into a new group because these new groups, there's not these established relationships and all this kind of stuff. If you look here on your sheet of paper, there's three different groups that are highlighted in green. And those groups are all new groups that we're starting. Either we're relaunching with a new leader or they're brand new groups. So if you're not into a group, I would encourage you maybe to try out one of those new groups that don't have those established relationships and you can uh, come in uh, early on in those. If you're already in a group, I would say this. Come join us in one of our midweek classes that starts up this Wednesday night. Engage God's word individually, but engage God's word uh, collectively. We offer many outlets here for you to be able to do that. If you are really a serious disciple of Jesus Christ, you'll take advantage of these. It's not just about coming and hearing Pastor Brandon one time a week. If you want the dust of your rabbi all over you, then you have to get God's word inside you. And until your life is dominated with God's word and dominated in the way that you think, in the way that you talk, in the way that you quote it, You can't know Jesus any more than you know his word. That's a convicting statement as we think about this morning. What kind of disciple are you of Jesus Christ? Are you sitting at his feet? Are you in his word? You will never be a a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not in his word. Let's look back here at chapter number four and look at the response of the disciples. How did they respond to this calling of follow me? In verse 20, it says this, that Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets. And followed him James and John in verse 22 did the same immediately they left their boats and father and followed him if you look here the writer identifies two different things that these guys had to leave in pursuing Christ in following Christ they left their boats and they left their fathers the writer here is communicating to us these two most significant things in our lives our careers. In our most significant relationships. To follow Jesus, we have to understand that, that re- the relationship with Jesus Christ has to pay, take precedent over everything else. He wants all of our devotion. He wants all of our resources, all of our commitments, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our might, all of our strength. Are you willing to leave something behind to follow Jesus? Are you willing to leave behind your aspirations, leave behind your hurt, Leave behind your money, leave behind your time, leave behind your friends, leave behind your stuff. What's God calling to you this morning? What are the most significant things in your life that he's, actually, he's asking you to walk away from to follow him? It may not be your boat, it may not be your career, it may not be your family, but everything in our lives should be open-handed when it comes to following Jesus. Whatever I need to eliminate, whatever I need to walk away from, To follow Jesus means you subject everything in your life to the lordship of Jesus. Lastly, Jesus calls us to spiritually reproduce. He calls us to spiritually reproduce. When he calls him to follow me, he does it in there. There's not a, a period there. It says, follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. A fisher of men. Just like Jesus was a fisher of men, his followers will become fishers of men. The things that were important to Jesus were now going to be important to the disciples. The things that Jesus did were now the things his disciples were doing. And we know what Jesus Christ's purpose was in coming to the earth. He says that I came to seek and to save the lost. If he came to seek and to save the lost, that should be a priority of ours as well. He's going to make us a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's going to make us a fisher of men. This is an essential part of being a disciple. It's not, it's not something that only a few of us do. It's something that, that all of us should do. There's no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian. John 15 and verse 8 says it this way, but by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you want to prove that you are a student of Jesus Christ, if you want to prove that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you bear fruit. And how do we bear fruit? We bear fruit by reproducing, multiplying. How do you prove yourself as a disciple? Bear fruit. We would consider ourselves a Great Commission Church. A Great Commission Church means that we obey Matthew 28 and verse 19, when it says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and I will be with you always. We believe that. We live by that as a church. This word, go, baptize, and teach, are all words that are derived from the force of the controlling verb in this passage, make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples is what funnels out everything that we do as a church and everything we do as a people. The primary thing we do, and it involves all believers, it's not selective to some. It's just not something that we do as a church, it's something that each of us have to be about. As followers of Jesus, we do, we reproduce. He has called us and appointed us to bring forth fruit. You say, Casey, this is intimidating. This is a lot. Like, I've been baptized, I mean, I've been saved for five minutes, and you're asking me to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ and then reproduce. Some of you in the room, you've been saved for a a year. Some of you guys have been saved for five years. Some of you, uh, 20 years. And all of us are further along in this reproduction, this multiplying process. But we all have to understand that we're called to reproduce. Don't let it intimidate you. Discipleship is simply teaching someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. You could be saved for five minutes. You could be saved for five years. You could be saved for 50 years. And all you're doing is inviting someone to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. If you're in the room and you've been saved for a really short time, I guarantee that you know plenty of people that are far from Christ. Just invite them into your spiritual journey with you. If you've been saved five years, 50 years, whatever it is, Invite someone into your spiritual journey with you and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you and to empower whoever you've invited with you. Sometimes it's studying the Bible together, but it's more than that. It's just opening up your life together. 75% of discipleship is informal. You are teaching people to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. It means inviting people to lunch after church. It means going to coffee. It means doing a Bible study together. It means texting folks and and checking on them and encouraging them. It's inviting them into your home. It's inviting them into your life. It's showing up for someone's uh, soccer game or at someone's recital. It's just living life together. And as we live life together, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to invite you in to this gospel conversation that I'm having. I'm going to invite you into this prayer life that I'm having. I'm going to invite you in to studying God's word together. It's just going to flow out of me naturally I'm just gonna invite you to be with me as I follow Jesus. It's not something magical that I can send you out of here with today. It's saying yes to following Jesus, and it's saying yes to being a reproducing disciple of Jesus. That I'm not just gonna sit at Jesus' feet for the sole purpose of just sitting at Jesus' feet. That is important, but I understand I'm sitting at Jesus' feet And if what I'm experiencing is so life-changing, is so transformational, then why wouldn't I share it with somebody else? Jesus calls us to spiritually reproduce. Last uh, Sunday, we were able to celebrate those uh, 39 folks that have been baptized over the last year at our church. And man, I'm excited about that. There's nothing excites me more than standing back there behind the stage and talking to folks about where they're at in their spiritual journey and helping them take that next step with Jesus in baptism. This year could be a year of discipleship at Green Hill Church. We're so excited about the numerical growth that Jesus has given us. We're so thankful for that. We're never going to overlook that. But this year, this year could be the, the year of not only numerical growth, but it could be a year of death. That we fall in love with Jesus in a deeper way, in a more intense way, and we follow Jesus together. It's on the wall as you come in every Sunday. Follow Jesus together. You say, Casey, what are some action steps that we can do as a church? What what can I do as an individual as we move forward? Can I just encourage you with this in 2024? Get to church. Just be here. I know I'm saying this to you. You're here on the very first Sunday of the year. I get it. Just be here you can't convince me that you love Jesus if you don't love his church. He says, follow me. He says, you know what? I love the church so much that I gave my son for the church. He he calls the church his bride. I love my bride. I love my church. Get to church. Get in a group. The primary way that we disciple people at Green Hill Church is get in a group. If you're going to be with us, You're going to be around here anyways. Get in a group. It's just the way we do things. Get in a group. I know it's intimidating. I'll help you. I'll hold your hand. I'll walk you down to class. I'll give you as many options as possible. I just want to see you thrive in discipleship at Green Hill Church. Here in just a couple weeks, we're going to do a church-wide campaign called Experiencing God. Next Sunday, you're going to hear more about it. I'm so excited about Experiencing God. You're talking about depth. You talk about what God could do around here, how God could shake things up, the way that baptistry could be full every week. Experiencing God. Sign up for it. The last thing is this. Ask God to help you identify one person you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring to faith in Christ this year. 39, woo! I'm excited about 39. But in 2024, all we gotta do, just ask God to give you one person. That this year that you could bring to faith in Christ and then start talking about it in your group and start talking about it with your friends and just keep praying for that one person. God, just give me one. And in this year, in these 52 weeks, if you'll just somehow by your grace and through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, allow me to minister to that one person. You know what that would do for our church? You know what that would do for our community? Follow Jesus. Jesus and be a disciple that reproduces. God's calling us to a new depth in 2024. Will you obey? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we uh, are so thankful for your word. We're thankful that you're still calling the willing. You're still empowering the willing. You still have a purpose for the willing. We just come this morning to say yes. As a church, we just wanna say yes. We'll follow you. We wanna know you. We wanna spend time with you. We want you to take us deeper. If you're in the room this morning and you just don't know Jesus today could be the day of salvation for you God brought you here on purpose so you could hear the message that God wants to be with you for an eternity and here in just a moment I can explain to you and show you what it means to live eternity with the Father if you're in the room this morning and you consider yourself a Christ follower how did he speak to you this morning what kind of renewed commitment do you need to have what do you need to lay down who did who did the Holy Spirit bring to mind when we were talking about who's your one how many of you in the room today will be committed to pray and ask God to give you one How many of you would be willing to invite other people into your life as you follow Jesus? Heavenly Father, continue to work this morning. Continue to speak this morning. Give us the courage to obey for your glory in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.